Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for another fun episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, my guest today is not only a successful speaker himself, he's also part of our student success team here at the Speaker Lab. I'm going to be talking today with Mr. Jeremy Rochford, and I think you're really going to love hearing his story. We're going to go deep on a few different things in this conversation, including why he transitioned from the music industry to being a speaker. We're going to talk about how he was able to find clarity in his messaging and his unique experience, both the positive and negatives in delivering a TEDx talk back in 2015. The other inspiring thing about Jeremy's story is the amount of weight he has lost whenever he decided to change his lifestyle and get healthy. It's an insane number. I think you're going to love that, uh, the, how that transformation really played a role in him finding his voice as a speaker. So make sure you listen in for that because it's uh, it's really, it's an incredible, inspiring part of his story. If you don't know who Jeremy is, or if you've never heard about him and his story, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy today's conversation. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with one of our student success coaches and leaders here at the Speaker Lab, Mr. Jeremy Rochford. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by Mr. Jeremy Rochford. Uh, excited to have Jeremy here because not only is he a, a successful speaker, but he is also uh, a, a coach and on our student success team here at the Speaker Lab. He uh, he actually interacts with just about every single student that comes in the door. In fact, when students come in the door, Jeremy's the first person that uh, the, the people interact with. So uh, excited to hear some of his perspectives as working with literally hundreds and hundreds of students through our programs and what he has seen, but also talking about his own journey. So Jeremy, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to this be here. This will be good. So let's go back in time. How did you first get into speaking? How is speaking on your radar? Uh, give us the, the, the backstory. Yeah, I'll do my best to keep it short because as speakers and storytellers, we like to ramble. We, we like to go. It, uh, it started with music, actually. I have a, a history in the music industry. And one of the things that frustrated me as a music connoisseur was that dead time when they would tune or they didn't have a flow in their set and everyone was excited and then they drop and yeah. everyone's excited and then they drop. And so when, when I, when I started touring and started having some success and had bigger stages, that was one of the things that I want to make sure that if we have someone's attention, let's not lose it for a, a stupid reason. And I hate right. to be that harsh, but you know, you're going to tune, you know, there's going to be breaks. Use that as an opportunity to either sell merchandise, to sell your social media, do it as a way to introduce the song. Cause I, I don't know about you, but I love seeing those like VH1 and MTV storytellers, or I did, I'm, I'm dating myself now, <laughs> but I love to know the reason behind songs. Yeah. And so just incorporating some of that into the set list so that it would hit that much harder saying, here's the reason we wrote this song. This is why it matters so much. And then you play the song. Yeah. And then when my music career came to an end and I kind of pivoted from 
touring with that to speaking, because I've, I've got some of a backstory that I speak on, it was a natural progression because I took those same chunks that I had done between songs and then I just sort of put them as a set list for my speaking. Yeah. And I just knew that if I had this story flow into this story, flow into this story with the solid intro and call to action, then I'd have a framework for speaking. And so my introduction to speaking came by way of the music industry because I, I wanted all killer, no filler with our <laughs> concerts. And then when we pivoted or when I pivoted away from the music industry, just kept that on stage mentality of how can we hold their, hold their attention for 10, 15, 20, 35, 45 minutes. Yeah. Was it an, uh, I, I mean, I can see how like you connect the dots there, but was it like, okay, my music career is coming to an end. And so the logical next step is to be a speaker or what was the, were you finding as you were doing the, the musical shows that you're just like, I like playing the music, but the bits in between of telling the story and giving the context and talking uh, rather than just singing. Uh, I, I really enjoy that part of, or where did the interest in the speaking part really come in? No, that's a really good question. And a little bit of context with my backstory. I've lost 200 pounds. And at this point, I've kept it off for 15 years. And at the end of the concert, there's always the back of the room time. So you're selling shirts, you're signing autographs, you're meeting kids. And I would meet a lot of individuals who had similar either body issues or weight struggles that I had. And we would had these great conversations. And it almost got to the point, actually it did get to the point where I was looking forward to the concerts just to have conversations with people after oh, cool. the show. Yeah. And so the natural progression was for me, whenever it came apparent that that season of my life was coming to a close was, well, if the essence of what I love most about being on stage and on the road is the actual connection with people, well, speaking to me seems like the best way to do that at volume. Right. And so for me, that was the transition and really the driving force to go from music to speaking. I want to come back to something that you, you glossed over there. We're going to come back to it in a bit, but you lost 200 pounds. That is insane. That is a large full grown man that is just gone from you. So uh, I want to talk about that in a bit, but uh, so I'm curious then as far as going to uh, going from, from music to speaking, were you clear early on of who you wanted to speak to and what it is that you wanted to speak about? Because uh, that is, as you well know, like that's a, a big challenge for a lot of speakers that we work with, speakers that are new to our program, especially who are early in their 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 uh, stages of, the, of their career of going like, I love speaking. I want to do more of it. I, I don't know what I don't know. And who do I speak to? I speak to humans. I speak to everyone. And what do I speak about? I don't know. What do you want me to speak about? So how did you start to figure out for yourself of, it's kind of like a, from like a music perspective, like you can't, you know, I, I play music. Well, what kind well i play all kinds of music it's like yeah that doesn't work right so how did you how did you figure out if you wanted to get into and do more speaking what you'd be speaking about and who you'd be speaking to no and that's a really good question and much like most of the speakers we work with and i'd say most of the speakers in general i just plopped into it and i'm like let's make this up as we go <laughs> which which is super frustrating but you're so excited to be doing it that, that you yeah. don't always realize that for me we did a lot of, we were sort of pop punk or at the tail end of the pop punk phase of popularity. And so I would find myself getting a lot of youth events because few people get bullied more than the fat kid. Mm. So they would bring me into youth events to speak about uh, kindness, about self-identity, body image, and all the things that being overweight and that struggle would encompass. And the biggest challenge for me was I've literally struggled since I was five with this. 
So I have a catalog of 20, 30 years at that point of what do I talk about? Because there's so much I could talk about. And for me in those early years, that was the most frustrating part was pulling a story that I thought was killer and having no reaction. But then reflecting on the video and seeing people react to stories that I put in there just as transitions. They're like throwaways. Yeah. And so for me, the biggest frustration was of all that I could talk about, what do the youth want to hear? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the challenges as I've learned, not just working with the speaker lab, but as I've developed as a speaker is that's a backwards philosophy because if you keep, and I hate to put it this way, but if you keep pandering to an audience, you sort of lose that edge of credibility. Mm. So for me, I had to take a step back and say, all right, unequivocally, if I could go back in time and tell 16-year-old Jeremy, if you just do these three or these five things, what would they be? And that's for me where the clarity started to become. And ironically, well, maybe not ironically, but graciously, that's when the speaking started to get good. Because I knew that these were the five things that have changed my life foundationally from a weight loss standpoint. But those same five things would impact anyone who has a dream. So whether you're 16 or 65, you do these five things. And I guarantee you, you will be further ahead this time next year than you were this year. And when I was able to go in and take the stage, that's when the kids started coming up to me and they're like, oh, do you have a book about this? This is amazing. X, Y, and Z. And so it wasn't until I sat back and said, all right, if I had 15 minutes left to live on this earth, what would I say? Yeah. And it was these five things, because to me, they're the empirical truths that changed my life that are completely replicatable for anyone. Right. And from that, that's when the clarity started to come of, and we talk about it sometimes in module one, actually we do talk about it in module one of what's the expert position? What is the promise you're making your audience? And these were the five things I knew I could promise would change people's lives if they heard them. Uh, as far as like a, from a timeline perspective, um, when you were doing music and then you transitioned into speaking, uh, so when you're doing music, had you already lost the weight? Were you in the process of that? Because it sounds like even as a, as a musician, you were kind of talking about, uh, I lost some weight. I was a bull, I was bullied. Um, so how did that kind of fall within the timeline there? Really great question. We're going to go into the time machine. So wrapped up, technically wrapped up the weight loss process around 2001, 2002, from there, it was just straight maintenance. About 2004 okay. was whenever I started going on tour. So the way had been off for about two years at that point, and I was the thinnest I'd ever been, and, and also the healthiest. Wow. So, and I, it's been off ever since. Yeah, that's wild. What when you were doing music and then you start doing speaking, was the process of booking gigs for either one was it the same, or were there any differences with booking uh, speaking gigs versus booking musical gigs? The essence of it was very similar because when you look at touring, the whole concept is you want to have anchor dates, which are very lucrative. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to let's, so we were in Nashville, if you're going to Des Moines, Iowa, well, then you want to draw a three hour radius or draw your map on the way there or on the way back and see if there's any opportunity going up or going back, maybe at a lesser rate. Maybe if you've got your pipeline full of warm leads or maybe lukewarm leads, that's the time to reach back out and go, okay, maybe you weren't interested in $5,000. We've got an opportunity for 2,500 Yeah, because you're already going that way. Right. What's the, if, if you can just take an exit off the turnpike, bank an extra two or $3,000, it's totally worth your time if it's not even at your level of typical cost. Right. So the, the, the mindset in terms of booking out was very similar. Yeah. 
Interesting. So you uh, you went from music to doing speaking for a while, and then uh, you also got into doing comedy. Uh, so talk about that. How did that transition happen? Uh, and 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 what did you do with with comedy? Comedy was a complete accident. I, I ended up writing a book about my weight loss experience, and people read it and they loved it, and they said, "Wow, if you're this funny on paper, you're gonna be hilarious on stage." Don't ever make that assumption. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if it works like that, but yeah. It 100% doesn't work like that. Because if even if you just pull back the curtain, comedy is economy of words. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield had this process where he would write a joke and he would literally take a word away every time he told it until he got it, until the last one away. And then when he hit the point where the last one away, he put that word he took out back and then it was perfect. Speaking, on the other hand, is entirely different. Yes, you want to be concise, but you've got to paint imagery with your stories. You want to make people feel like they're there and they're experiencing that hurt, that pain, that triumph. So the process to writing jokes versus the process to writing comedy are 100% different. But I got into it because some of my friends thought I'd be hilarious and I wasn't. But what I loved, <laughs> there were two things I loved about it, though. And this is actually something I recommend during not just the orientation, but with some of the coaching I do. I genuinely recommend anyone who wants to be a speaker to go do a comedy open mic night mm. because you will never fail harder <laughs> as a human on stage than standing on an open mic night. Yeah. But here's the joy of it. If you can get comfortable with that awkward silence and with that lack of participation, when you walk into a room full of 100, 200, 1,000 people who genuinely want nothing more than for you to succeed, yeah. well, you just, you were great in front of 12 people, half of them drunk and the other half didn't know you. So these 100, this 100 room full of C-suites, that's nothing. Yeah. But I love the challenge of trying to take some of the stories I had and make them jokes. And so- there's what I've been told, so I don't want to get any hate mail from this, but what I've been told is that there's not a lot of funny, clean comedians. Yeah. And so I looked at it as a challenge of, well, how can I bring humor to some of the stories in a very clean way so I can get in front of families, give them that clean opportunity, but then also convertly drop the hints that, hey, I also do some speaking. So while I might be coming to your church or organization, if you want to bring me back for a corporate wellness or for a ladies retreat or men's group, here I am as well. Nice. So it sort of became this, this duality of playing off itself where if people wanted to just laugh and sort of forget their troubles, here comes Jeremy, the comedian. <laughs> but if people want to actually unpack their problems and make some progress, well, here comes Jeremy, the weight loss expert. Hmm. Interesting. Do you feel like the, the, the stand-up comedy that you were doing, do you feel like it made you a better speaker? Oh, 100%. 100% because what it really helped me with was timing was the use of my body on stage. And, and Chris Rock does a brilliant example of this. Chris Rock trains his audience of when to laugh. If you ever watch Chris Rock, he will pace during the setup. And as soon as he's about to drop a punchline, he stops. So immediately it's a pattern erupt because they get used to him wandering and then he stops. Hmm. And then all of a sudden people are like, Oh, he stopped. There's some important's going to happen. Yeah. Drops the punchline, hilarity ensues, and he's back at it. And I, I did, and the thing is, like, I performance coached musicians for years before this, but it wasn't until I got into comedy and people made me aware of just how deliberate the wordsmithing and the mannerisms were 
when I was able to apply that to my speaking, I feel like I went from a dart without feathers to an actual dart. I could hit this. I wasn't like wandering all over the stage. I didn't have the speaker's triangle because I, I didn't want to be that confined. I knew of it. But I also knew that if I went too crazy or if I was too flamboyant, it's like screaming all the time. You know, the, the screamo had a two-year fandom because people got tired of the screaming. Right. But if, if you get angry every now and then, people are like, oh, I like when that guy screams. He must be feeling it. <laughs> And so comedy was really helpful in terms of speaking, not just for stage presence, but for understanding how deliberate that art is to then say, well, can I mirror that here? Should I mirror that here? And yes, definitely. I should mirror that here. Yeah. Uh, comedy is one of those things that I personally like. I love, I love watching a good comedian. I love uh, whether that's on, on Netflix or, or in person going to a comedy club or, or to a venue or watching a, a, com a comedian do their thing. Um, I have never tried it myself, even though like, uh, I use a lot of comedy whenever I speak and I've spoken in front of audiences of several thousand and feel, and use a lot of comedy and feel very comfortable. But like you said, the idea of doing a five minute set and an open mic now, or not even that, you know, maybe two or three minutes at an open mic just seems incredibly intimidating. Uh, because the, the, interesting, <laughs> the, the interesting thing is like with most speaking audiences, like they don't, they're not expecting you to be funny. So if you are funny, it's an added benefit where uh and it, you don't have to be funny the entire time so if there's a you get a few jokes here or there a few punchlines here or there like it works versus like if you get up at a, a a comedy club for an open mic night and you got three minutes they expect those three minutes to be funny the entire three minutes not a little bit here or there uh, and it's hard but i do see how uh, it forces you to be better it forces you because i can there are times where i would tell a joke that i knew wasn't that funny but i could get away with it because it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't expected to be funny, but if you're in a context where you're expected to be funny and something's not funny, uh, it doesn't work. It falls flat and you got to cut it or fix it or do whatever you need to do. So, uh, I do see how it would make a, a big difference despite how intimidating and daunting that, uh, comedy may be. I agree with you fully, literally with everything you said, and I'm sorry for interrupting you. I was just wanting to say amen so much, but that's, <laughs> that's what you should do, right? Like it's that, that old adage of, the success is right at the edge of your comfort zone or yeah. right beyond it. You should do the things I believe you should do the things that terrify you because if you can conquer those, then what's possible. Yeah. I want to talk about another part of your speaking journey. You did a, uh, a TEDx talk. Uh, tell us about the, the TEDx talk. What did you speak on? Where was it? Uh, how did it go? And then I want to go back and, and talk about the, the process of, of uh, you took to, to book it in the first place. There's the, <laughs> there's two sides to that answer because overarching it went great but it was one of the biggest challenges that i've ever faced in my life and it happened in antioch tennessee if you're familiar antioch tennessee it, it what i love about it it's like the pittsburgh of the mid-south and it had some rough times and much like when they redid the waterfront in pittsburgh they wanted to redefine antioch and so they wanted to bring affordable education and thought leaders to that area to inspire the community and so that's why they deliberately chose antioch to have them. And I was fortunate enough to be one that they chose. My goodness, the, <laughs> the process that they put you through. Yeah. It, it, and and I, I say this with limited expertise on the military, but I assume it's a similarity with the military in that they make you want to quit so that <laughs> if you don't quit, they've got the quality of the quality. Right. Because there were about 60 of us who all made the first round. 
And then they just kept willing it down 10 by 10 by 10 by 10. And then I love hockey. So if anyone listening to this loves USA hockey and Herb Brooks, when Herb Brooks picked his hockey team, he knew that three people were going to get cut before the actual Olympic games, but he didn't tell anyone who until a couple days before. Well, about two weeks before he brought in two additional players who've been playing with him at college. And just to like, let people know that even if you think you're safe, you're not really safe. And they did the exact same thing. They brought some speakers from like Nashville and the university. And they're like, yeah, these two people are really good too. So you thought 10 of you were going to make it maybe only eight of you, which then made us have to work that much harder because it's that old adage of I'd have written you a short note, but I didn't have the time. So many of us, we get to speaking and we love our ideas and maybe we come from a three point sermon background, or we just love telling stories, but TEDx and TED ain't got no time for that. You've got one point and that's your through line. And if it doesn't add up to that, and if it doesn't support that one thing, it's got to go. And quite often as storytellers and as people who have lived experiences, we love our stories. And it's like trying to, it's like you have to pick a kid sometimes, but the whole TED process was about, well, much like comedy. You have 15 minutes and this is something that's going to live forever. Yeah. We want this to be great and we expect nothing less from that. And so the amount of effort you have to put in to refine, to refine the humility it takes for people to go, yeah, we chose you, but that's still not good enough. Okay. Very similar to comedy. You get on stage and yeah, you may have two and a half minutes of three comedy, but what are you going to do with that 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. How do you refine that, refine that, refine that until you've got a three minute killer set? Mm-hmm. It was the same experience with, with the TEDx experience of start with a 30 minute talk, had to will it down to 15, even then had to will it down to 13, just in case time ran over that I had that buffer because they're very clear. 15 minutes, you have a 10 second buffer, not for you to stop, but for you to get the mic off and we're, and we're done. <laughs> so it was, it was great. It, it, it's like working with a per it's like when you do CrossFit, you know, you look at the end of the day and you're like, I've got abs. This is amazing. But when you're moving those tires, you're like, I don't know, there should be an easier way to do this. Right. No. Okay. Here we go. That's so amazing. that's, that's why I say on one hand, it was amazing. And on the other hand, it was the most difficult, one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Hey friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, I I have no idea or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start. Let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs, and we'd love to see if we could help you as well. Our personalized coaching program features done-for-you websites, done-for-you demo videos, weekly coaching calls, access to all of our educational content. We find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more. You've got the talent. You've got the drive. Let us give you the plan to execute. All you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach.
would you, because when it comes to, and I have not done a, a TEDx talk, um, and I know speakers who have, and uh, I know a lot of speakers who who come to the Speaker Lab and a, a TEDx talk, they kind of view as this, um, you know, end all be all, that it's going to open all these doors for them. And all of a sudden it's going to, you know, they're going to get a, a book deal or going to book, book a, a bunch of gigs out of it. Um, what was your experience basically post TEDx and was it worth it? And what should be the proper expectations for someone doing a TEDx? talk i'm giggling because it was post tedx that brought me to the speaker lab okay really really great segue whether you know this or not but about three or six months after the tedx talk you're just riding high because it is it's that it's that quiver in the belt that a lot of people want few people get and it's gonna live forever so you're riding high and it's much like getting a book deal when you get a book deal or even a book agent with the traditional market. It's like, I've made it. This is amazing. I'm just going to collect these mailbox money checks and life is going to be good. And then three, six months go by and you're like, uh, no one's calling. And, and that was sort of my come to Jesus moment with speaking because while a lot of this is word of mouth and personal connections you make, there are certain structures and certain processes that take individuals from people who speak to speakers. It's the difference between a side hustle and an actual business. And that was one of the things I was lacking in my life that I assumed that TEDx would just make it happen. But as an author who has a New York Times bestselling literary agent, unsigned though for how many years, there's more to it than just this golden nugget. Another opportunity presents another opportunity to work. And so knowing that I had a really great opportunity with the TEDx and with that momentum, I realized just how bad I was at the business of it. And so that's actually what brought me to the speaker lab. And it really filled in a lot of the gaps of just not knowing what I didn't know, because the challenge is you can probably find a lot of the information, but much like with medical advice on the internet, (laughs) It's not always good information and it's not always trusted information. It's, right. it's the old WebMD adage. Like <laughs> I woke up with a headache and now it's terminal. Like, I, you know, it's all roads lead to death. And it's the same thing with speaking. You'll find two YouTube videos where one's like, don't ever move. It'll distract your audience. And then the other one will say, you absolutely need to move or you're going to bore them to death. And you're like, what do I do? This is how aneurysms happen. <laughs> and so what, what the speaker lab did was it, clear, it cleared away a lot of the clutter and it gave me a direct path to understanding that this is a best practice. It's proven. I know some of it, but it fills in the gaps so that I don't have to beat my head in frustration anymore saying like, I'm smart. I should be able to figure this out. Well, yeah, you should be able to, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. And how many of us are smart but we also go to YouTube to learn how to change the battery on our Honda or frame a door. We're all smart and competent, but there's certain excellencies that we need guidance on. And so the speaker lab really helped me with that because post Ted, I was like, people are just going to start calling and people didn't start calling. (laughs) And, and, and really that's where, where my introduction to the speaker lab came in. Uh, I didn't realize that. That is cool. Uh, but you're exactly right. That as, as far as like where you were is where so many speakers that we work are, with uh, are today in terms of like, they, they want to speak, they have something that they're passionate about. They've done some speaking. They're, they're uh, decent at speaking, good at speaking. They want uh, to continue to build and grow, but they just, they don't, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and that's, 
that's totally fair. So you came on 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 uh, on the Speaker Lab team a couple of years ago, and you are our uh, concierge, which means again, when someone comes in the door, that you are kind of their first point of contact. Hey, let me, I, I'm gonna take you by the hand, and I'm gonna show you where we go from here. Because there's a lot of of, of of coaches and people that students would interact with, but you're kind of that initial guide. So I'm curious. Again, you've worked with hundreds of students that have come through, uh, probably at this point over a thousand students that that you've interacted with and worked with within the Speaker Lab. What are some of the common challenges that a lot of, of speakers, especially newer speakers, run into? What are the roadblocks uh, and how is it that, that they can overcome those and, and keep those from being barriers? I feel like this is a political question because I'm going to answer it in my own way, but I'm actually going to answer it. So <laughs> forgive me for not answering it directly, but then answering it directly. One of the things I love about my position here is in my private practice, I help people with weight loss because that's a lot of my backstory. And when it comes to weight loss, a lot of people have unhealthy and unrealistic expectations. They want things quick, they want things fast, and they also want them sustainable. And the challenge of that paradigm is typically you get two of the three. And it's very similar with speakers. A lot of speakers want to go from zero to 60 in three, like in, in three weeks. Yeah. And not saying it can't happen because there's always exceptions to the rule. But what I took away from the course and my experience here is that we're, we're building a business and we're building a lifestyle. We're literally transforming from individuals who speak to speakers. And with that type of life transformation, there has to be appropriate expectations. And the students who come in understanding that this is a transition into a lifestyle and a new identity of being a speaker they have massive amounts of success. They pace themselves. They want to learn it. They're not here just to check boxes to say they did it. They want to absorb. They want to participate. The students who struggle the most just want to come in and look at this like a, a get rich quick kind of fix. Mm -hmm. Like they're taking some magic metabolism pill and they'll do the videos and I'll check in with them within like two to three weeks. Like, how are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm in module five already. The course is great. And it's like, well, that's three months ahead of schedule. I've not seen your expert positioning. And they're like, oh, well, there's paperwork. Yeah, literally in the fourth, they, like, yes, within the first 15% of the course. Oh, I didn't see that. Well, what, what happened? Oh, I just watched the videos and then I went. Because there's people who just want to come in and check boxes and feel like just gleaning the knowledge yeah. is going to take them to that next step. But as anyone who has had any success will tell you, it's the application of the knowledge. Yeah. that sets apart who wins and who doesn't. And so I think the biggest challenges that some of our students have is their mindset, is the fact that they're building a business. And if they have grandiose expectations, which I'm not saying don't, but what I'm saying is make sure you have the work ethic mindset to support those grandiose expectations. And the students who do crush it. The students who don't, we end up having therapy and it's good. We, we get them to where they need to be, but it, it's all about refining and, and defining the expectations and the mindset that could have been established early on if, if the reins would have just been held back a little bit. That makes a lot of sense. You, you touched on mindset there. And I would assume, uh, and again, you, you correct me if I'm wrong. I've kind of thought this outside looking in that, you know, you have lost, uh, you've lost over 200 pounds, which again is just 
crazy, crazy, crazy. And again, outside looking at it, it seems like I'm no health expert, but it seems like the, the way you lose weight is relatively simple. You know, you pay attention to what you eat and you exercise. Like that's really it conception. And there's a, a ton more that goes into it, but there's such a, the mental component that if you don't think you can, or if you think it's, it's too difficult, or you feel like you're destined to be overweight, or you're destined to be out of shape or whatever, or you're, you have this, this, um, family history of obesity or whatever it may be that you have these limiting beliefs that keep you from doing anything. And we, we see so much of it being the same with speakers where we can tell you exactly what to do, but if you don't think it applies to you, or you don't think it's possible for you, or you don't have the confidence or the belief that this, that you can actually do this and make this happen, you won't take any action with it. So do you find that to be the case that the, the parallels of someone who's struggling with weight loss and the parallels of someone trying to, to build a speaking business are the same challenges? 100%. And, and I forget, forgive me, whomever's listening to this, if they know this quote, but I forget who said this quote, but this was one of the quotes that has just stuck with me for my entire life. And it's focus less on the goal and focus more on becoming the kind of person who would achieve that goal. Hmm. And when you like, let that sink in, in both weight loss and in speaking, and you dissect it. Well, if you want to lose weight, inherently, there are certain changes that need to be made. There are certain additions and certain subtractions. You need to get more active. You need to be more present in your decision-making process. You need to be more on the offensive than the defensive. And if you do those things, then the results are naturally going to follow you. Well, transversely with speaking, I'm not saying don't focus on the goal, but if you take a step back as a speaker and you have a clear message and you know who absolutely needs that, which market needs that, and you find the decision makers who can put you in front of that audience on a consistent basis, and you build a pipeline and you follow up and you do all the things that would, it would take to become a successful speaker, then the success will follow. But as in weight loss, as it is quite often with a lot of the students who, who struggle with the program, they jump straight to that $10,000 contract and they don't build a pipeline. They've got half a speech written. They waver on their expert positioning. They've maybe got a demo. Whereas if they would have just taken the steps in order and become the kind of person who would naturally get a five or $10,000 paycheck, well, the results will take care of themselves. And I think that's something that Eric has definitely shown yeah. and, and many others. I just use Eric because he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tell speakers all the time, like tr trust the process. We've worked, we've done this with a lot of speakers and it, it works if you do trust and, and follow the process. So, uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for the time, man. This has been super helpful and, and interesting to hear your story, your background, but also, uh, the, the challenges that so many speakers that we work with, uh, uh run into and how that they, they can overcome those. So again, for those listening, if you, uh, if you're interested in any of the programs, uh, that we offer here at the speaker lab, there's a good chance you're going to be interacting with Jeremy inside of those. So, uh, make sure you check all that info out. So, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, again, thanks for the time, man. Uh, we'll talk with you soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time.
You're awesome.